0: The following recording is a presentation of the Breein Baptist Church of Roanoke Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Roanoke Park area. I'd like you to open your Bibles now, if you would please, to Ephesians chapter 6. And I am happy that we return to our study of Christian warfare today because we receive training in this sixth chapter that's vital to the success and victory of our Christian lives. My sermons are prepared several weeks in advance, and often they reflect the trials I experience during the week that the sermon is preached. And as I worked on this sermon, I had just finished a conversation with my doctor the day before, as most of you have experienced, getting in to see a doctor in person is quite difficult with the virus concerns that we've had these past several months. We often talk with our doctor by video conferencing. I set an appointment with him because of a physical health concern And when we began our conversation, he didn't start by asking me about the issue that I'd called about instead. He wanted to know how was I doing mentally? How how were my stress levels and how was I coping with this this social distancing orders that after months have turned our world upside down? How did that affect me mentally? Well, I don't often talk about these things. And since he was my doctor and he asked the question, I I thought that I should explain to him what I was going through. Now, he knows that I am a pastor. He's been my doctor for 15 years. And I began to explain to him how that my stress is centered in the absence from church. My stress is how do we hold the church together when we can't meet in fellowship? And I explained the lack of fulfillment that I have by preaching to a camera each week. And just as I said that, he he interjected and said, I I totally understand that. And then he said, you can't gauge the reaction of people to what you say. You can't tell how your message affects the people. And he understood how the radical change, this radical change in my life could affect my mental status. Now, I'm sure that he approached this this whole thing on the level that he would any uh, the work of any professional, because his life has changed as well. And I'm sure doctors are stressed because they can't see their patients and they're trying to protect them from the virus and protect themselves as well. He understood the problem, but I'm quite sure that he didn't understand the greatest cause of these problems. As I assess what's going on mentally, I know the scriptures In Ephesians chapter six that we're studying, I know what the apostles experienced. I know second Corinthians. I know what Paul said to Timothy in his letters. I know what the Bible teaches in Revelation. I know what the Bible says about war in the spiritual realm, that it's not physical and that we fight unseen powers of darkness. I understand that there is a great enemy who never rests and he's always in full attack mode against God and his people. And I know that leadership, pastors and deacons and church workers that are busy about the Lord's work, these are the ones that will bear the brunt of great, Satan's greatest attacks. I know verse number 12 of this chapter and with our several weeks of study in Ephesians 6, you know this well, Ephesians 6:12 says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And thus we discover that that Satan will try to gain an advantage in any way that he can. And this shutdown of churches for an extended period gives him an inroad into the minds of God's people when their routines and their fellowship and and all the things that they did in church have been upset. And this is the place where we gain our strength. And that's been interrupted. Well, you take me and you take my position. You see that I'm robbed of my ability to teach and to take care of the flock in the way that I'm used to. And it's like taking a shepherd And retraining him to herd cats. Everybody is scattered everywhere. I am legally prohibited from catching you and bringing you together. Well, after this conversation with the doctor, it was the next day when there was an article that arrived in my email inbox. And this article described how a significant number of pastors have already decided they will not return to ministry when this is over. Some have already started looking for secular jobs. Some say that church giving has declined so significantly that the ministry is endangered and they're not sure churches will survive and there will be a ministry to return to. They're discouraged. They're making contingency plans to take care of their families. And let me tell you, that is just a taste of what goes on in the minds of pastors. Now, some think, well, the pastor doesn't have anything to do. He's not preaching and preparing as much as he did. He's not spending as much time as he did before. And I want to tell you that if you think that way, you've missed it by a million miles. Having your world of ministry turned upside down and needing to approach everything that you do differently is 50 times harder than what we did before. Having a diversity of opinions that float around about what we should do. Should we defy the government and meet anyway? Some say we do that. Some say don't do that. Some say the virus is a hoax, that it's a conspiracy to destroy the church. It's a conspiracy to bring down the presidency. I contend with these opinions every day. And my purpose is not to cry a river. I don't want your focus to be me. I want you to think about what's going on with your church. And I want you to to see how vitally important it is for you to keep the faith and to hold on so that we have a viable ministry to return to. Trouble mounts from all sides. Satan is using multiple levels of attacks to destroy the church. And it's not an unusual thing. This is the pattern for centuries Churches in other parts of the world, sometimes they can't even poke their heads above ground. If they're going to meet, they must meet in secret. That's going on in other parts of the world. In the Cold War days, uh, a missionary uh, we supported, Dr. Alexander DeShallendeau, risked imprisonment and death to smuggle Bibles into communist Belarus and the Soviet Union. He was getting the word of God to, to believers that had no access To Bibles. And we wonder, how did those believers hold on? Well, we need to learn their lessons and their strength. And I am by no means trying to compare what we're going through to the risk of imprisonment and death that that they went through and that our forefathers have been through. I'm just saying that if we're not diligent to watch ourselves, our boat can be sunk in time by a not leak rather than by a torpedo. Now, if all we had to read in Ephesians 6 was verse number 12, we would surrender without a fight. We would give up immediately because there is no hope. But thank God that verse number 12 is just a warning that makes us aware of the enemy that we can't see. And most of the time or many times we are not aware of. Paul wants us to know the reason that we must do without fail what he tells us to do. And so before he hits us with verse number 12, what could be debilitating information is related to the encouragement that we find in verses 10 and 11. Here the apostle writes, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand Against the wiles of the devil. Now, if you have your Bible open, I want you to look in chapter five, verses 15 and 16. Later in our series of messages, we'll do an exposition of this verse. But in in chapter five, verses 15 and 16, see then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Some Christians are badly fooled. Into thinking that once they're saved, they can sit back and they can let God do what He's going to do. They can be comfortable and expect that there is no trouble that can harm them. Well, it is true that God will do what He does, but it's also true that His work is accomplished by diligent service. It is accomplished by fighting and battling for every inch of our sanctification and spiritual progress. And this is what we term the doctrine of perseverance. Paul says we wrestle. We are in a fight. It's a constant battle. And so he says that we must prepare ourselves with the proper armor. And in this chapter, he tells us to take a stand. Stand, therefore, with your loins, girt about with truth. And the picture is that we must hold our ground and never give an inch to the enemy. Now, composers have written some great Christian songs that refer to Christian warfare. Some of these come out of the period of the Civil War or just after the Civil War. And there is a song that we used to sing that says, Hold the fort, for I am coming. Jesus signals still. Wave the answer back to heaven. By thy grace, we will. Philip Bliss wrote This song during the revival period, just after the Civil War in the late 19th century, the title is Hold the Fort. And he wrote it after hearing about an incident in the Civil War. Now, I want to read to you the encounter that inspired Philip Bliss just before William Tecumseh Sherman began his famous march to the sea in 1864. And while his army lay camped in the neighborhood of Atlanta, Georgia, on the 5th of October, the army of Hood, in a carefully prepared movement, passed the right flank of Sherman's army, gained his rear, and commenced the destruction of the railroad leading north, burning blockhouses and capturing the small garrisons along the line. Sherman's army was put in rapid motion, pursuing Hood, to save the supplies and larger posts, the principal one of which was located at Altoona Pass. General Corse of Illinois was stationed there with about 1,500 men, Colonel Tortolotti being second in command. A million and a half rations were stored here, and it was highly important that the earthworks commanding the pass and protecting the supplies be held. 6,000 men under the command of General French were detailed by Hood to take the position. The works were completely surrounded and summoned to surrender. Course refused. And a sharp fight commenced. The defenders were slowly driven into a small fort on the crest of the hill. Many had fallen, and the result seemed to render a prolongation of the fight hopeless. At this moment, an officer caught sight of a white signal flag far away across the valley, 20 miles distant upon the top of Kennesaw Mountain. The signal was answered, and soon the message was waved across from mountain to mountain, Hold the fort, for I am coming, W.T. Sherman. Cheers went up. Every man was nerved to a full appreciation of the position. And under a murderous fire, which killed or wounded more than half the men in the fort, Corse himself being shot three times through the head and toward Lot, taking command, though himself badly wounded, they held the fort for three hours until the advance guard of Sherman's army came up. French was obliged to retreat. Philip Bliss wrote, "Ho, oh, my comrades, see the signal waving in the sky. Reinforcements now appearing. Victory is nigh. Hold the fort for I am coming. Jesus signals still wave the answer back to heaven. By thy grace, we will. And before the modern age of sweet preachers with diamond rings and French cups and perfectly manicured fingernails. Christians used to understand warfare. Christians experienced bloodshed. And for many, that was quite literal. Many songs were written about this because it was such a common experience. I grew up with these songs about warfare. When I was a child, I remember uh, summer nights and vacation Bible school. We always started Bible school with all the kids that were lined up at the door of the church. Then the church bell rang and everyone snapped to attention. And then the music began and we began to march into the building. We had the American flag, the Bible and the Christian flag in front of us. And we would march into the building following those flags. And while we marched, we sang onward, Christian soldiers marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus going on before, I love these kinds of songs. Faith is the victory soldiers of Christ arise. But I'm afraid as the years go by that warfare for many Christians is only about singing the songs. We're good about singing songs, but not very good about fighting. Many Christians aren't cheered for the battle. Many Christians want to give up. They're somber, they're griping, and they're complaining. They sing about fighting and they sing about their love for the Lord, but then they fade and they faint at the least sign of trouble. Now, the Scriptures encourages not to faint, and this is what it says about the Lord that you sing about in Hebrews twelve verse three. It says, "For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself." Lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. When you start to faint, the scripture says, consider the Lord's spiritual battles that every day of his life he went about healing and helping and blessing. And every day people plotted against him to destroy him. Scripture says, consider what he went through and the fact that you'll not escape what they did to him. He said, the servant is not above his master, but shall be as." His master. The scriptures tell us not to be weary with well doing. Jesus never stopped because he faced opposition. He fully expected it. And he went to the cross without complaint. And his only sadness in going was the terrible condition of people who wouldn't believe the cross was not his defeat. The death of the cross was victory over Satan and that victory was sealed by the Lord's resurrection. Now, in our text. Paul encourages us to be strong. Be strong in the Lord. The Lord Himself and what He did for us and promises that He will continue to do, this is our encouragement. Now, let me give you some reasons to be strong. First, be strong because the enemy is strong. Now, our our studies have shown that we have an enemy whose power is far beyond ours. They've shown that Satan never takes a vacation. We know our enemy never takes leave from the battlefront. He takes no furloughs. Whether or not you fight, he always fights. He always prepares and schemes for the next attack. We, we've studied this and it's not my purpose to to tell you more about the way he works. I, I just want to take another approach to the reasons that we are encouraged to seek the Lord and find our strength in him. The enemy is strong. So why do we need to be strong? Well, first, we need to be strong to avoid the agony of defeat. You remember there used to be sports in our country. I know that's a. Um, Seems like a relic of the past for all the protests of athletes. Sporting events are more of a propaganda convention. I don't really care too much about their political opinions, but there used to be sports. Uh, You may remember ABC's wide world of sports that they had on TV years ago, and, and they had this phrase, the agony of defeat. And their, their illustration of the agony of defeat was, was a ski jumper rapidly descending the ramp and ready to launch into the air. And as he descends uh, with speeds up to 80 miles an hour, his ski catches an edge and he falls and he tumbles and he goes off the side. He falls off the ramp into the trees. And the agony of defeat is that after months and months and even years of preparation, he fails Now, can you compare that to the Christian life? Are there Christians who have fought for years? They've been in the years or been for for years in the fight. And then they come to a moment like this, this unexpected tragedy going on in our churches. This is what they experience. And some fall away from the faith because they are suspended from church. The enemy wants to twist and bend you and trip you by putting depressing thoughts into your mind and temptations and anxieties and worries. And you may have been a Christian for years. And when you come to this moment, you stop depending on God to be your strength. What have you? What have you spent your time doing since you haven't been in church since church has been suspended? Has your work for Christ also been suspended when you fail in your in your Christian life? There is always the misery, the agony of defeat. And let me tell you how good the devil is at pushing you down and keeping you there. You come to the place that all things that cause you misery, you just keep doing. The sin that that got you there is a besetting sin that you won't give up. And you do understand, you, you do know this, that sin never brings lasting enjoyment. But you stay in that sin because you live for the moment and not for eternity. And so every time you come down the ramp, you never fly to victory, but you tumble off the side in defeat. And this is when you must draw strength from the Lord. You can't overcome sin by yourself. You must surrender to the power of Christ who works in you. Now, there is a false gospel that promises victory. If you will just think good thoughts Think good things about yourself and tell yourself that you were born to win. Well, you can tell the guy who fell off the side of the ramp that he didn't need to train. And you can say to him, oh, you don't really need to prepare. You just need to think positively. Head down that ramp and fly because you were born to win. No, you were born to the agony of defeat. All people are born to defeat because they're born into the destructive kingdom of Satan. And they will never win until they put their confidence in the strength of Christ. Now, as a Christian, you are born again to win. But winning requires running the race well and fighting the fight wearing God's armor. Well, it's bad enough to be weak. And not to draw on God's supply of power because of your personal defeat. But there is a far more important purpose for Christians to be strong. Be strong next because you can avoid defaming the almighty. You're a soldier of the Lord and you represent him. Now, a Christian living in in defeat defames the character of almighty God. Now, we're talking about the reputation of Jehovah God. And when his servants live in defeat... That puts a black mark on his name. Have you noticed that that today's preaching centers on personal pleasure, centers on prosperity? Nothing is really said about the ultimate purpose that everything that God does is to glorify his name. And this is one of the reasons that God allows our suffering, because that patient endurance of, of Christians holding on and relying on the strength of God and remaining faithful in troubles that glorifies God. But preaching about sinfulness and the need to forsake sin, that is not the focus of most ministries. They don't preach holiness because they aren't concerned about God's character. They're concerned about personal happiness. And so they don't care if your life tramples the name of Christ. The concern is you and only you. But that's not Christianity, because Christianity is not about you. It's about him. And we exalt and we lift up the name of Christ, not because he gives us things and not because he takes care of every sniveling little whim. No, we worship and we exalt him because of who he is. We do it because he deserves our praise and worship. He is worthy of all glory, honor and majesty. We don't need another reason to worship him, although he gives us plenty more. Christians need to get the picture that we are servants of the almighty. We belong to him and everything we do reflects on his character. Now, this reminds me of what Nathan told David concerning his sin with Bathsheba. Nathan didn't talk so much about how it hurt David personally, and he wasn't so much concerned about the effect on David and the fact that God would take David's child because of his sin. Nathan was more concerned how David's failure reflected on God. Now he says this in 2 Samuel 12, "Howbeit because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die." And Nathan's idea was that David's sin slandered God's name. Have you thought of this? Do you realize that your affair, your pornography, your lust, your cursing, your habits, do you ever think about the effect that has on God's name? And did you know this, that Satan is most interested in this? Now Satan couldn't care less how things affect you, what effect it has on you. The byproduct of his work and how it affects you is not really that important to him. He he may he may make you believe that it is, but the big picture is that what Satan wants to do to do is to defame God's name. Now the world is always watching Christians, and when you sin and you think that it affects nobody but you, then just remember, people are watching your sin will lead people away from Christ. Your sin harms this church. And if you're out there living in sin while the church is suffering through this pandemic, then you're not thinking of the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ. But when you're strong and when you fight the tempter and the temptation, then you prove the power of the gospel when you triumph over evil. There's a testimony for the name of Jehovah. So always remember that your actions will either lead people to Christ or lead people away from him. And you need to be strong because your failures do much more than hurt you personally. They smear, they slander the name of God. Is there another reason to be strong? Well, yes, be strong because the Lord is strong. Now, we've talked much about the devil in the past few weeks. And we've seen the the, the power of the devil and the breadth of his influence. And I don't preach on the devil because I stand in awe of him, but I preach on him because I stand in awe of God, who, despite the devil's great power, God has greater power. Still, Now you can be strong because of your hope and confidence in the strength of the Lord. And you can be strong because although the devil is strong, the one we serve is much stronger. Jesus said in Matthew 12, but if I cast out devils by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods? Except he first bind the strong man, then he will spoil his house. These verses refer to Jesus power over Satan. Jesus said that Satan is like a strong man. And when Jesus comes and cast out devils, he goes into that strong man's house. He ties him up and he plunders his house. And did you know this is what the Holy Spirit does in regeneration? He comes into a heart that is bound by Satan, one that has no power to overcome its natural depravity. One who is in the clutches of the devil and the Holy Spirit comes in and he kicks the strong man out of his house. And then the Holy Spirit takes possession of the one that he desires. Now, there are some who think that you can resist that influence. And if so, we ask, who does the resisting? Isn't it the devil that causes people to resist? Well, if it's possible for a lost person to resist the regenerating influences of the Holy Spirit, then Jesus is wrong. Satan is stronger than the Holy Spirit. But Jesus said, I cast out Satan. I bind the strong man. And this is the reason when the father draws the center to Christ, he always comes. Now, the scriptures give ample evidence of God's strength. You can be strong because you can confidently know that he is strong. Now, let me quickly give you five demonstrations of the Lord's strength. The first is his strength was demonstrated by his actions. I'm speaking of his miracles He did things that no one else can do, and I don't need to go into all of his miracles. John highlighted seven of them in his gospel account. And then at the end of that account, he wrote in John chapter 20, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. John said, you can look at the miracles, you can see that Jesus was more than a normal man, and you can see that no one has the power to do what he did. If they could, then there would be no reason to point Jesus out. But no one could. And that's proof of his power as God. Next, his strength was demonstrated in his temptation. Matthew four is the record of Christ's temptation after 40 days of fasting and in a physically weakened condition. He was tempted. Now, remember, the son of God came in human flesh. He was 100 percent man. Now, he had a body that was subject to all human frailties. And yet in that condition, he resisted everything the devil threw at him. He didn't fail. He didn't fall into sin. And this is remarkable because. Adam was put into a perfect environment. He had everything that he could possibly want, and yet he sinned. Lucifer was the anointed cherub that access to the throne room of God, and yet he became prideful and fell into sin. Christ is greater than any human and greater than the angels because he endured temptation under the worst of conditions and never failed. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews said Hebrews four, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, you can have confidence In the Lord's strength, and you can come boldly to his throne because he demonstrated power over temptations and he can help you overcome your temptations. Now, thirdly, strength was demonstrated by his resurrection. Is the Lord strong? Well, the resurrection proves it. In chapter one of this letter, the apostle wrote. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. In Romans, Paul said the power that raised Christ is the same power that will raise us. And then he says, Because of this power, we have the power to put to death the sin that dwells in our bodies. You can read about that in Romans eight, eleven through fourteen. Now the obvious implication is that the devil who influences and fights against us has no power when we rely on the strength of the Lord. Now, fourthly, strength is demonstrated by his salvation. And by this, I mean the full sufficiency of our salvation is God. Now, today we're talking mainly about sanctification and how we are involved in a fight against Satan. That's a fight we must fight. And God doesn't sanctify us without our perseverance. But when it comes to salvation, we make no contributions. God planned it, God implemented it, God fulfilled it, God moved in us, God gave us faith and God saved us. There's nothing in salvation that comes from man. I mean, even when it comes to the reception of God's gift, all of it's motivated and secured by God. As our statement of faith clearly says, the Holy Spirit secures our voluntary cooperation with the gospel. So, yes, we cooperate But that cooperation is not originated in our will. It originates in the will of God. Well, you can be strong in the Lord because you're saved by his power. And he was powerful enough to raise you from spiritual death to spiritual life. Now, fifthly, strength is demonstrated by his protection. And must I remind you how he protects you? We have the allies. We have the holy elect angels, but more significantly in our regeneration, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us and is a seal. He is a guarantor. His presence is the down payment on the completion of the final purchase in chapter one. In whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believe you were sealed With that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. This is God's infallible guarantee. Peter commented on this in First Peter, chapter one. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you understand that Christ's action His temptation, his resurrection, his salvation, his protection. You know what all that says? It says that this is not our personal war. This is not really about our fight with the devil. This is about God's fight with the devil. And he uses us to prove his power. Now, we can be strong because he has the power to protect us. And so, Christian soldier, you must be strong because the enemy is strong and you must be strong because the Lord is strong. And now, finally, for your edification and your encouragement, be strong because you are strong. And I say, well, hold on. Have I spent all of this time to to contradict myself? I thought we needed help because we aren't strong. And so you say, now, wait a minute, I'm not strong. I've been singing. Jesus loves me all my life. And it says we are weak, but he is strong. I've been singing. I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. Well, yes, by yourself, you are weak. But haven't you seen the picture that you're not by yourself? What about those angels we talked about? When someone says, Well, you know, you know, the United States Army is really a strong military or the United States has a strong military. Well, they're not talking about the individual soldier. They're talking about the entire military, which put together is a formidable fighting force. You're certainly strong in that way because you have an entire army with you. You're part of God's military. And if you're a member of the church, your your strength is also in the collective body of the church. But I'm not primarily talking about that, because really, when this is reduced to the individual, you are a lean, mean fighting machine. And this is because you are a child of God and you must get this point that the power of God is inside of you. And did you get the point that God works through you and God doesn't do this while you sit by? You're strong and it may be that you're yet to realize it. You've been leaning on your own strength. And when you do, of course, you're weak. But inside of you, inside of you, there is a new nature that's been implanted by God. And in this nature dwells the Holy Spirit who joined with your spirit and the power is there. Listen to these scriptures. Philippians 2, 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his Good pleasure. Colossians 129, whereinto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Second Corinthians four seven. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now, you know what Paul means in that verse? We're humans that are made of clay. We are the dust of the ground. We are worthless dirt. And we know that when we do anything, we can't take credit that that power and sufficiency is all of God. But now now keep that in mind and listen to what Paul says in Romans nine. He says, "Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? God is in control and he takes this lump of clay that we are and he makes us vessels of honor for him, sanctified, holy, that we might be a vessel of honor for God. And you know what happened when God started that work in me? He said that he would finish it, that he'll not leave me broken and in failure, but I'll come down that ramp and I will soar, I will fly because he will complete his good work. Now we can make that the last statement for the reasons that we should be strong. Be strong because God began his work in you, and he will complete his work in you. He began it and he will complete it. This is what Paul said in Philippians 1 6, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. You are strong. You just need to realize that God's work is going on and God will finally finish that work. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So your encouragement is God's strength. He lives in you. He's working in you. He will complete his purposes. So stand up. Hold your ground. Hold the fort. See the signal. Jesus is coming and he will reward those who are faithful in the fight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come thanking you for the encouragement of your word. All around us we we see the troubles that we are experiencing, troubles on every hand, can't be in church, a virus, so many things, so many things that are against us. But you give us the encouragement that your power will sustain us. If we will only look to you and draw on that power, if we will just remain faithful, stand strong, stand up as men and women of God. And Lord, we can hold the fort until you come. And there's no need that a pastor of this church would ever have to think about leaving the ministry, going someplace else, finding another job because your people are faithful to hold on. And to sustain and to have a ministry when we are able to come back together again. Lord, help us be with us. Strengthen us. Strengthen all of your people. We're not able to see everybody. We can't, we can't uh, experience what everyone is going through. And Lord, there, there may be some folks that, that are just really struggling and have a hard time with this. And they don't know what to do. Our answer is found right here. The devil is fighting us, but the Lord is stronger. To help us to defeat him. Help us, Lord, to lean totally, completely on you. Our sufficiency is in your power. So we thank you, Lord. Bless our people. And we pray that you will bring us together soon. And we give you the praise for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now we have a final word of benediction that I'd like to give you. And I, I'd like to... Uh, look at the scriptures in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verses 26 to 29, as we close out the service today. Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verses 26 through 29. There is none like unto the God of Jeshurun, who rideth upon the heaven in thy help, and in his excellency on the sky, the eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, Destroy them. Israel then shall dwell in safety alone. The fountain of Jacob shall be upon a land of corn and wine. Also his heavens shall drop down dew. Happy art thou, O Israel! Who is like unto thee, O people saved by the Lord? The shield of thy help, and who is the sword of, his, of thy excellency? And thine enemies shall be found liars unto thee, and thou shalt tread upon their high places. Well, the Lord be with you and bless you, and stay strong in the Lord. Be encouraged in the calling of the Lord, in his salvation, in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. Be strong. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Brian Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Roner Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.